Welcome to Food Network Obsessed, the podcast where we talk all things Food Network with your favorite Food Network stars. I'm your host, Jamie Sire, and today I'm bringing this podcast to you from the Pacific Northwest. I'm visiting my family for the first time in over a year. I'm so excited. We are headed for some outdoor adventures this weekend, so please send me any uh, campfire recipes you might have. We always made these campfire pizzas as kids with these, um, these like metal pie cookers that you put in the campfire. So I wonder if my sister still has those. We might have to dig those up if so. Uh, but after spending the week in rainy Seattle, I am looking forward to this jolt of sunshine on the pod today who is sure to bring a smile to your face. Of course, I am talking about the Carla Hall. I can't wait for you guys to hear her unique journey to becoming a chef and, of course, appearing on Food Network and why she lives by saying yes. She is a chef, a podcast host herself, and you've watched her on some of your favorite Food Network shows like Halloween Baking Championship, Holiday Baking Championship, Worst Cooks in America, and now she is the host of Best Baker in America. Here's Carla Hall. Carla, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I am doing great. It is a beautiful day. I think the pollen is behind us. Well, not completely behind us, but <laughs> the leaves are coming out. I love days. Well, I'm a spring baby, so I'm loving seeing the leaves and um, just the warm air. Ah, I'm doing good. <laughs> I know that that vitamin D can, can do us all uh, do us all wonders, especially after the last year, I think. So I'm yep. um, glad to hear your allergies are not too bad. When is your birthday, by the way? May 12th. May 12th. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, happy early birthday. Um, I am so excited to have you on because uh, you and I hosted a fun little virtual event in December. Lots of virtual events for all of us these days. Um, but there were so many things that I wanted to ask you that I did not get time for during that session. So I'm, I'm glad we get some time to kind of dive in uh, a little bit. But before we dive in, I do want to ask you, how many pairs of glasses do you own? Because I feel like every time I see you, you're wearing something different. And they're always fun. Okay. Well, that's a good sign because I always <laughs> want to be new and fresh. And I always want people wondering, what kind of glasses is she going to be wearing? Um, I'm just kidding. I have <laughs> 70 pairs. 70? I have seven. Yeah, I think seven zero. And I'm traveling right now with only 26 Okay, only twenty six. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean that for me not to be able. To, I know that sounds really crazy. Some people love purses. Some people love shoes, jewelry, glasses are my face art. And when I'm filming, I get tired. I don't want to seem like I have on the same pair. I mean, if you're going to travel with a, a large quantity of anything, I feel like glasses is a, a an easy one to do. They don't take up a, a lot of room. Do you? I mean, do you have cases for all of them? Do you have one large case that they all fit in? How does that work when you travel? So I found this sleeve, this woman on Instagram, and she said that she had these sleeves for glasses so they can hold six pairs each. So I have four. Oh, so that's 24. And then I have, oh, six 
glass cases. So I have 30 with me. So anyway, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so, and I rolled them like a jewelry case. Okay. And the funny thing is I was, I was going to an event. I'm like, okay, I know what glasses I'm going to wear. What shoes? I had no shoes. I literally had <laughs> my trainers. I had a pair of chucks and that was it in terms of my shoes. I had no shoes. I had tons of glasses. I had no shoes. Was so it see- a fancy event? Like <laughs> It what- was. It was, <laughs> was a fancy event. So as I was driving, I was driving from Grand Rapids because we're not in our house right now. So we're, we're being nomadic. And we were, mm-hmm. I was going to an event in Middleburg, Virginia at Salamander Resort. And I didn't have, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't have any clothes. And I had just filmed Best Baker in America. And I sent my whole wardrobe to my sister's house. So she lives in Maryland. So I had to do a stopover. I'm like, oh my God, I need that box. You know, it's <laughs> like, because I grabbed my glasses, but I did not grab like shoes and clothes and stuff. So I mean, that was a recovery. A, I mean, I think that's a, okay. Because, you know, like you said, it's your face art. It's what people see first. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I feel like it's okay to wear. I feel like you can wear chucks to almost anything, but it's good to know that you, uh, you had a little backup plan and <laughs> were able to figure it out. I also wanted to start off uh, this, this episode with, with a, a recess session, but then I realized that our, our listeners really can't see us. So it might be awkward to have a dance party uh, on a podcast, but, uh, I know we can, uh, Mm. We're we're dancing. Mm. Mm. <laughs> we can talk it through. Elbows up and shoulders shaking. Yes. Uh. Mm. Mm. I'm such an awkward. You know what? I'm an awkward dancer, so it's actually a great thing that no one can see me. Okay, so. y'all. I saw that. I cannot unsee that. But that is okay. That is okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wait for anybody that doesn't know or doesn't follow you on Instagram. By the way, they should. Uh, what is recess if they haven't seen uh, one of your recess uh, dance parties? So I started recess during COVID and I was all frustrated. It was actually when all of the protests were happening after George Floyd. And and I figured we all needed a break. And so in my head, I was like, you know what? What were the breaks that we had in school? This was just the thing that organically came to me. I'm like, we had recess in school, like kids. And it started out, I had, I got a bouncy ball. I was doing roller skating. Then I started dancing. It was just 10 minutes of a break every day. And that, that was, and it sort of caught on and I had regulars and it, it just does a mind good to honestly just not take yourself so seriously and take a break and just move a little bit. Even if you're just doing it in a chair to just move. Mm -hmm. And, And have you, have you kept it up like pretty regularly? I mean, obviously not every day these days, but, uh, are you still popping in with, uh, one every once in a while? I'll pop in every now and then, and it'll be like a special occasion. I'll do one in a costume or, you know, just in a random one. So it's not every day like it was, but I do them regularly, but I I don't have a particular day because I don't work well with schedules unless I'm working. (laughs) So if I have a, it's just honestly, if you want me to procrastinate, just give me a schedule and I I cannot, I cannot work within somebody else's confinement. So. I, you know what? I agree. And I, I always say that that's why I went into to, to TV and specifically broadcasting, because I felt like my 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 deadline was always, you know, that day. And then I could just, you know, forget about it and go on to something else the next day. So um, I'm with yep. you on the schedules. I and don't ask me which day of the week it is, because I cannot tell you that. either. <laughs> it's today. And I don't want to know anything that's tomorrow <laughs> because tomorrow is tomorrow. It is today. <laughs> it is today. And you and I are having a conversation today, which is super exciting. You mentioned 
mentioned Best Baker. We're going to get to that in a little bit, but I want to kind of go way back because uh, I know you live in D.C. You're kind of also, you know, traveling around right now, but you grew up in Nashville, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, known for obviously being the the heart of country music, but they also have an incredible soul food scene down there. How did growing up in the South, you know, influence your love of food that we see today? I think, well, when you think about soul food, I was just in it going to my grandmother's house every Sunday after church, having Sunday supper. Um, and then during the week I would go to my other grandmother's house when we were growing up and, um, and she would be cooking and picking beans. It was just a part of our life. And, and so when I started cooking and I wasn't cooking for a long time, it was only after I moved out of uh, uh, my mom's house and I was in college, I started cooking when I was trying to recreate my grandmother's meals and after being homesick. I mean, that's how it all started. And I didn't have the practical knowledge to do it like she did because I wasn't cooking with her because I wasn't interested. It was all through um, my sense of taste, my taste memory. That's how I started recreating. And then after I went to culinary school, I was more able to take the technical thing out of it and then put in the emotional and taste so that that's how I cre- that's how I continue to create dishes and that's how I cook. I didn't know that I wanted to cook for a living. I mm-hmm. I, I started cooking out of gratitude for for your friends letting me stay on their couch, right? And people talking about, oh, my mother used to do it like this, and my mother used to do it like that, and this was during um, uh, Sunday brunches that I had when I was modeling in um, Paris, and so. Everybody seemed to have an idea of how the food was prepared. And I I was like, oh, my gosh, I've been eating this food for 24 years and I have no idea. And so I started going to buy cookbooks at the American bookstore. And so that's how my interest um, started. Now, I had to back into the food that my grandmother made, because once I realized that, oh, I can I can do this, I can read recipes, but how can I get to my grandmother's food? Because I still craved it, but she wasn't the reason that I started cooking. Hmm. Does that make uh, sense? Well, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, and I love hearing that, that that that's not what the what the answer was. You know, it's it's something that you might assume, but uh, that's not always uh, how they seem to be. And, and you've kind of alluded to the fact that you have lived multiple lives. So I kind of want to <laughs> dive in to some of these different, um, you know, lives of Carla Hall. Uh, you went to college and, and majored in accounting, Girl. of all things. Yeah. What? <laughs> What was behind that decision at the time? This is when I insert the eye roll that the okay. listeners cannot see. Yeah. Um, I, I I love numbers. I wanted to major in theater and I wanted to go to Boston University. I did acting uh, or the, at least theater from 12 to 17 when I was in middle school and then high school. And that's what I thought I was going to do. Boston University deferred my admissions. And so I was, I, I saw that as a rejection and I was like, well, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go to school? I wasn't going to just go to Boston for anything. And so my sister was going to Howard University. I'm like, I guess I'll go to Howard. And, um, and then I liked my accounting teacher. So I'm like, okay, accounting, you win. 
Okay. My mother was so happy. My mother, I can't even tell you how happy my mother was that I wasn't going to major in theater. She's like, oh my God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay for college and my child's going to be broke and she's going to be living with me forever and ever. And then I'm going to have, I don't know if that's what she thought, but she really was very happy that I changed my career path. Do you use any of that degree? Do you, uh, do you do your own taxes? Do you, do you do math for fun on the side? Like any, <laughs> do I do my own taxes? I don't, but I, I always felt like even when I was working as a chef that I could have a really good conversation with the accountant. I could mm. give them the information that they needed. I understood why they were asking for it. It wasn't something that I procrastinated on because I do like numbers. I like problems. I, I like figures. I like order, but I'm also not the one to execute it because I will procrastinate <laughs> do my own things. But if you're asking me for something, I will do it. So I still use it in that sense. Okay. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. I mean, look, I mean, accounting is not a, a bad skill to have in your back pocket. And you mm -hmm. mentioned Howard University and you went to business school there, obviously. Our current vice president, also a Howard alum. Yes. Which is so exciting. Uh, what does it mean to you to, to stay connected to that part of your life? Well, first of all, and I didn't realize this. Someone had um, said, Carla, have you seen your yearbook from 1986 when you graduate? I'm like, no. So a friend sends me a picture. I'm Carla Hall. And uh, of course, Kamala Harris. We are HAs. We are on the same row. No way. In the yearbook in 1986. And I'm like, oh, hey, girl. She's like, oh, hey, girl. She's, she's, two, <laughs> she's two pictures over from me. So, um, and... I was like, wow, that is so cool. I don't remember Kamala at Howard, but all of my friends are like, yes, you do. I'm like, no, I don't. Now, I could <laughs> easily say I remember her. I think it is so exciting. Howard and going to Howard was a really special time. Um, one, I was leaving Nashville and going to the big city. Two, it was just an amazing experience to be in what they call the Mecca of all of these black professional students. I mean, well, we weren't professionals yet, but it was just so exciting. Even our classes that were Afrocentric and mm -hmm. it was a sense of learning why you should be proud of who you are. And that could happen in any school for anybody. But for me, it was at Howard and it was, it's, it's, I never disconnected from Howard or at least the memory of it and what that, what it gave me and why I am who I am today. I love that. Uh, well, after after working as an accountant, I guess for a couple of years, you switched gears. Uh, the, the natural switch to runway model. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's what every accountant you know aims to do. I think. Uh, how did that career shift come about? So it's, it all started at Howard because I did the fashion shows. I did mm. the spring fashion shows. It was a big thing at Howard for homecoming. And so when I went to Tampa, Florida, when I was working for one of the big eight accounting firms, it was a big eight at the time, um, as a way of meeting people, I started modeling. Someone came up to me and said, have you ever modeled? And I said, well, I modeled in college. And so she invited me along to do some fashion shows and I continued to do it because it was also a way for me to meet other people. And then after two years of realizing that I hated my job, I mean, I mean, with just, I just hated it. It was, it was such an energy suck. And I said, I don't want to be 40 and hate my job. I knew that um, 
I wasn't the type of person to just stay in something because it was the right thing to do or if it made, because it made everybody else happy. So I quit because I met these girls who were going to Paris and I'm like, you know what? That's a great idea. Paid off my bills. <laughs> I said, Hey, mom. Paris is always a good idea. <laughs> Paris right? is always a good idea. <laughs> and so, yeah, I went to Paris and I had one telephone number and I had um, a room. I stayed in a pensione with um, on the top floor where it was the ceiling was slanted. I couldn't even stand up all the way. And um, yeah, I stayed over there for a while. Uh, I mean, you, you've kind of you know, mentioned some of these places here and there, Paris and London. And I imagine you experienced so many new things during that time, memories, things mm-hmm. that have really shaped you um, to who, who you are today. What are some of your favorite memories um, from that time, whether it be cities, countries, um, you know, just people you met along the way? I think, well, one of my first and, and, and looking back, one of my favorite moments in Paris was, um, and I, and I took French, I took Spanish in school, but I took French for maybe three weeks. So my, my French was not great. <laughs> so you were fluent. I, right, right. Right. I was fluent. So I go down to a patisserie and I, I ordered a croissant and I say, un croissant du bas, s'il vous plaît. And the, the person behind the counter said, uh, uh-uh, un croissant du beurre. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Un croissant du beurre, s'il vous plaît. Uh-uh. Un croissant du beurre. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to starve here. I'm not going to be able to order. And I finally got my croissant. I, I, I wasn't eating ham at the time, but I knew how to say ham on. So I started eating ham. Um, and just because it, you knew how to say it? Because I knew how to say it, right? <laughs> it, it was really, that was my, one of my favorite moments because it was immersion at its best. And what it taught me was I started mimicking people's accents. It was, it was just an amazing experience. Aside from the trauma of not being able to order your breakfast correctly, I mean, when you think about some of the food uh, that you were exposed to maybe for the first time during those modeling years, what, what comes to mind? Oh, wow. I mean, this is so simple. I was in um, Bologna uh, in Italy, and I was with a friend who was modeling. She's from... Um, Newark, New Jersey, and we ordered pizza. We were just on a street and we ordered this pizza and it was a square piece. And we're like, oh, we want to split it. And of course it was the mime came with that because we didn't speak Italian. So, (laughs) you know, like we, we, we mimic the scissors, like split, split, split hand, you know, uh, (laughs) chopping on your other hand. And so this guy picks up this big square piece of pizza and then he cuts it with scissors. We were like, Ooh, oh my God, our pizza's being cut with scissors. And then he gives us the piece I got to tell you, Jamie, when I ate that piece of pizza, it was as if I had never had pizza before. I mean, the yeast of the crust, it was so, it was like crunchy and then doughy. It had the right amount of salt. And then the tomatoes, it wasn't overly tomatoey. It was just, I mean, the tomatoes were perfectly acidic. And then that fresh basil and then the mozzarella cheese, it was so (laughs) good. And it was just about the perfect balance between sweet and salty and yeasty. And I mean, we, we took a and then it was like that pause and then we looked at each other and we were like <laughs> we should have gotten a whole piece right so we, so we, <laughs> of course the whole pie <laughs> right right and so we went through this whole thing again but it was so delicious and I will never forget that it was it was like I'm like what have I been eating 
And and honestly, it I only had pizza either frozen up to that point or from like a, a, a like an American restaurant. Mm-hmm. So it was it was just amazing, and that really started this journey. Like, okay, what else am I supposed to eat? I had a similar experience um, traveling through Europe in college in in Rome, and it was like mm. this little back alley that my mom and I just like stumbled into this place. And my mom still talks about it to this day. She's like, "Remember that pizza we had in Rome?" Uh, but I know what you mean like it just yes. you, you don't realize like how much you've been missing out on until you you know have an experience like that. Up next, Carla tells us how she transitioned from model to chef. Plus, we talk all about the new season of Best Baker in America. I mean, it sounds like, you know, traveling around during that time maybe did have an impact on on you deciding to kind of explore this culinary career. Is that, is that happened or is that what happened or was it something else? It, it actually did. Right. Now you're like, not, I'm making assumptions. Yeah, I know. Like, I'm like, <laughs> I know. I'm not going to assume anything now. <laughs> well, in a way it did because I had started to cook for friends and, you know, as a sense of gratitude and just really getting into it. And then when I came back home, um, I stayed with my mom for a little bit and then I was like, okay, I can't do this. I cannot live with you. I've been on my own for too long. So I decided to move in with my sister and she lived in Washington, D.C. And I decided to have, she was pregnant and I said, oh, let me cook for you for your baby shower because let me show you all of the things that I've learned. And I adapted a biscuit recipe from a scones recipe when I was in London. And I made um, the coronation chicken salad, which was a salad that I would get from one of the store, like Marks and Spencer's, like the pre-made sandwiches in London. It was chicken with curry and raisins with curry and grapes and almonds. And so I made that, I made a bunch of things. And that day, a friend that I had met in France was living back in DC and she couldn't come to the shower. And so I said, that's okay. I'm going to bring you some leftovers. And she's like, oh, that's awesome. You know, because there's nothing to eat around here. You're going to bring me lunch. I'm like, okay. So I was like, yes, I get to take um, my food to her for her lunch. I get up the next morning and my brother-in-law, who of course owns the house and the kitchen and I'm not paying rent. He ate the food and I'm like, no, (laughs) no. So I remade some things. I made um, like pies and I made lemon blueberry bread. I got up, you know, and I was just cooking and I'm like, well, what am I going to put all this food in? I cut it into little pieces and put them in um, into like sandwich bags. And then I'm like, what am I going to use to put this food in? And I look over and I see a picnic basket. So I just grab the food threw it in the picnic basket. I get to her office where she's working as a receptionist in a doctor's office. And she introduces me. This is my friend, Carla. She has a business. uh, I was like, oh, and and I, in my head, I was like, what? But when the doctor turned to me and says, what's the name of your business? Because she said she introduced me as having a lunch business. I said, I looked at the lunch basket and I looked back at him. I didn't even skip a beat. I said, it's called the lunch basket. (laughs) <laughs> and I think that's I, a great name. And I started doling out these biscuits with smoked turkey and um, I had some salads and I was just giving them, you know, out. And they're like, do we pay you? I'm like, no, 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 no. These are just samples. And they're like, when are you coming back? And I said, tomorrow. 
<laughs> I went home, went to the store, made some more stuff. I went back to the office the next day. And then I went to other offices. Within a week, I had five to seven clients. Within two weeks, I had 14. I went door to door, hair salons, wow. doctor's offices. And that's what I ended up doing for five years until I went to culinary school. So at what point did you decide, like, I kind of want to level up a little bit and, and really take this seriously? Well, I was, I was doing that along the way. It didn't take long for, I just felt like I've had a direction because, you know, imagine, so the modeling was a bridge between what I didn't want to do, which, which was accounting and what I eventually wanted to do. And I didn't know what that was. So at this point, I was like, oh, maybe this is my calling, you know, because people are responding to the food and the greatest compliment. And I'm a words of affirmation person. So it's for them to get something that I made and to say that they enjoyed it. Right. Mm -hmm. So and just wanting to to get that repeatedly. So I was not only was I doing the lunches, I started catering. I started. So this this was growing you know, year after year, it probably only took about six months before I was like, oh, this is a thing. And then I started to work with somebody on my branding and called myself the lunch bunch and all this stuff. And then uh, so I went from the lunch basket to the lunch bunch. And it was a thing. It was a thing for five years. Yeah, that that is an incredible story. It, it, it reminds me of, you know, one of your personal mottos that I love, which is say yes, adventure follows and then growth. Yes, I think uh, that was obviously an example uh, in your life when you said yes, and you were glad you did. So is there another example of that that you could share? I could I could use the chew as an example. I could use going on Top Chef as an example because both of those were really scary things mm -hmm. to say yes to. And I remember when the chew came up, I said to my husband, this opportunity is coming up, but I have to move to New York. What do you think? Because if he had said, ah, I, I would have put my marriage first. I honestly would have put my marriage first. And, and he said, okay. So I said yes to the chew, knowing not really well, not realizing that it was a very different thing than to be on Top Chef where the cameras are shooting me just doing what I'm doing mm -hmm. than to actually host. And it's more coordinated and produced. And um, it was a very different muscle. And I found it really hard for three years, it, even though people may not have seen it. It was it was I was working really hard for three years until it sort of became muscle memory and stepping into my own authenticity. Um, and so the adventure was every day. And yeah. then the growth, when I look back, just the growth and even that experience helped me become a better listener. Because when you're working with four other hosts, you have to listen in order to see what your response is. And it can't be canned. You can't dial it in. You have to be engaged. Yeah. You have to, and you have to share the ball, you know, as we yes. say in the sports world and, and know when it's, you know, your time to shine and know when it's your time to kind of sit back and, um, you know, like you said, listen and, and be part of the team. Um, speaking of saying yes, you have your own podcast. You're, you're a pro at this already. Say yes with Carla Hall. You, you really dive deep with some guests on, on their own failures and successes. And mm -hmm. you've had some Food Network stars on the podcast as well. What inspired you to get into the podcasting world and want to, you know, tell these stories? Well, I've been wanting to do a podcast for five years prior to actually doing it. I just didn't know how I, I mm -hmm. it, you know, and Michael Simon used to always tease me. because I, I would always say, I always wanted to do that. He was like, really, Carla, really? You've said this about 13 th things, 13 different <laughs> things. I'm like, but it's true. Um, 
and so I love people's backstories. I love listening to radio. I love the medium of radio and just hearing because you don't have any distractions mm-hmm. and it's all about listening to people and, and just focusing on what they're saying. And, um, so that, that's what made me want to do it. And then when I thought about my life and how I'd said yes, and how I had the ups and downs of just learning and, and, you know, the outward perception of failure, but it was always growth. And I wanted to explore that because I'm like, if I'm having this experience, that also means that other people are having this experience. And I think that there is such power in understanding that you are not alone in whatever you are experiencing, that you're not alone. And so when you put a celebrity um, in the seat of telling their successes and failures, like if it can happen to them, then it can happen to anybody. And they survived it. And here they are to tell the tale. And I thought it was just a really powerful story to tell. And so I wanted to keep telling it over and over. What's your favorite part uh, about just the whole process of of hosting a podcast? And is there anything that like you didn't realize that now you kind of know looking back? Well, one thing, because uh, many of my episodes, well, actually all of them were post COVID. I, I, well, I did a couple of them in studio and then I had to do them at home and it was the techie side of it. You know, so the, the, yes, if something goes wrong, it's on you. I mean, even here, I'm like, okay, I got this. I have my microphone. I've got my headphones. The only thing that I didn't do is pop up my little sound tent. Um, so I was just excited about that. And I remember even working with the software, if something went wrong, I I only knew what I needed to know unless it went wrong. And that's when I discovered another part of of how to use the software. And even that was valuable. I love, I love interviews anyway, because no matter how many times I tell a story, I always feel like I learned something about myself in that story. And so no matter how much research I would do, um, into someone's background, learning that nugget or when they, that moment in which they, they trust you to share something that wasn't, um, that you weren't able to look up online, right? They're giving you like this, this really real moment. That is the magic moment. That is what I love. And that was the thing that made me want to do it every single time over and over again. I, I I'm like s- sitting here like smiling and nodding because I, 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 uh, I agree with you on all those things. It's, uh, the, te- from the technology to, you know, the, the, the storytelling and, and, and getting those, those, magical moments out of people, I think is, uh, is really, really special. Um, you seem to be such a positive person, but I I would imagine that you, you have bad days, like, like everybody else. Um, how do you keep that, that mindset and that positivity and how are, are, are some of those ways that you kind of cultivate that in your life? I have always been optimistic. I mean, that's just been my MO. My sister and I grew up in the same house. We are completely different. (laughs) She is not um, as wonderful as she is. Um, However, one thing that people don't know about me is that I am borderline introvert extrovert. So Mm -hmm. when I am out, I am, I am genuinely happy and excited, but I do have to recharge inside. So I, I have to, sort of recharge. So if anybody caught me, you know, out in the world and I hadn't recharged or if I'm hungry or tired, they're like, Ooh, <laughs> Ooh, maybe that's not real for her. But, um, <laughs> but I think, um, I, I, 
I believe my positivity and, and, and how to answer your question, how I cultivate it is that I know that when I can tell just from experience and I'm, and I'm also, well, I'll be 57 and this just comes from life and experience that when something is hard, it is a lesson for me. If I am indifferent to whatever this thing is, it's not for me. So, and I, and I don't want to repeat it. So if it's something hard, I'm like, okay, come on, let's get through it. Let's get to the other side. And, and one of the things that struck me when I was doing Top Chef and it was Restaurant Wars season five and I was standing there and I just knew I was going to go home and I was shaking like a leaf and my heart was pounding and I just felt so exposed. And then I, I said, well, wait, nobody has ever died here. Nobody has ever died at the judge's table. And that is probably the worst thing that could happen. So I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good attitude to have. You know, I'm not dead. So, yeah, uh, yeah. so let's, let's just be positive about life and, and go on our way. So yeah. uh, you have another, you have another motto, food connects us all, which I, I love as well. Um, how has, how has food been a connector for you to loved ones or even strangers in your life? It's really hard to be angry with somebody when you're sharing food. The second cookbook that I did, Carla's Comfort Foods, favorite dishes from around the world. I would take an ingredient and ex- and I explored that ingredient, like what, how that ingredient would be used in four different places. I would start in the South. And so if I take smothered chicken and, and that's how I eat it in the South. And if I took out the milk and I added cream and maybe I added tarragon and mustard and white wine, I could be in France. And if I took out the cream and I added um, sour cream and smoke and um, like a sweet paprika, I could be in Hungary. Or if I took out the the dairy and added tomatoes and peppers and maybe mango, I could be in West Africa. And so the idea that we all have a perspective on food. And if we sit down, I'm not going to tell you how to do your smothered chicken. You're going to do it the way that you do it in your part of the world. But if we could come together and say, wow, look at all of the similarities and let's look at all the differences, we can all really rejoice and get on. And so that's how I look at food. And I think that is what I mean when food brings people together, because we all have something to talk about and some and some ways that we can like, oh, my gosh, that's how you do it. Oh, this is how we do it. Like, oh, my God, did you realize that we all do the same thing here? You know? Yeah. And we all, we all have to eat, right? Yes. So like, all have to eat. so why not, uh, why not sit down and, and do it together, um, and enjoy each other's company at the same time? Um, mm-hmm. I'm wondering if, if food connected you to your husband, Matthew in any way, or <laughs> yes, how did that, how did that story happen? So Matthew and I met on an online dating service. Um, the universe, the first day, right? Yeah. The first day, the first day. And I was on there for a week because, you know, you never know what the first day is going to bring. Let me have six more. (laughs) Let me have my six more days. Got to keep my options open. (laughs) So, um, he made, um, I went to his house and he made for me his black pepper chicken curry and he was such a caretaker. And I would even, I would come over after I'd been working in the kitchen, smelling like onions and just like food, 
But he would say, do you have any laundry? I can do your laundry for you. I'm like, oh my oh. God. So oh he would my do goodness. my laundry. He's a keeper. He was a keeper, <laughs> right? He was, he would cook for me. And I remember the day that I had stubbed my toe and he's in the kitchen cooking and I'm in the, um, the open living room of den and I stubbed my toe and he yells from <laughs> the kitchen, step on it. And he's like, step on your foot. And I stepped, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, what? A, I said, it feels better. And it was like something that my grandmother would say, right? Right. It was, so, I mean, Matthew was just this combination of a caretaker and nurturing. And it was I, I am one of the luckiest women in the world, but he continues to cook for me. He continues to help me do the meal prep and he, he just loves it. And I tell people, people always assume, oh, I bet when they're talking to Matthew, I bet, you know, Carla makes you some great meals. He's like, hmm, occasionally, maybe for the holidays. <laughs> so food continues to um, bring us together. And also he knows what I'm going to get excited about. So when we travel, he has his folders and now they're oh. virtual folders and he would pick out the restaurants. But also when we were driving from Nashville to Grand Rapids, we went on a donut run and he had planned out this whole stop along the way of the dump places we were going to go and have donuts. I'm like, you get me. You love me so much. <laughs> We have to talk about your your Food Network journey as well. You are no stranger, obviously, to, to culinary television. But what about Food Network? What was what was the first uh, gig you got with Food Network? And, and do you remember getting that call and, and what that was like? When I got the call to do the Halloween Baking Championship and I had never been a guest judge and it was really exciting and even when you go on, you're very apprehensive because I have been on the other side of being judged. And so mm -hmm. I always bring that with me. And I had the benefit of wearing costumes because it actually lets you escape into a character. Uh -huh. So whenever you see me dressed up, especially in the beginning, I was it was always escapism for me to get rid of the nerves. I'm like, I'm not Carla. I am this character because, again, <laughs> the acting is saving me. Yeah. Um, but to get that call and even to get a call when the Food Network was just thinking about working with me, I felt seen, you know, and it's, it's pretty amazing just... Um, to feel seen and to be thought of and to come up in a conversation, whether you get the job or not, it's just the first step in the, of consciousness and getting the job. And, and now you are a host. Uh, you're hosting the new season of Best Baker in America. Mm -hmm. um, what is special about Best Baker in, in America and, and your favorite part about now hosting? Because you've talked about, you know, competing and, and judging. And now you are kind of seen in this regular hosting role, which is really fun. It is. I love hosting. I get to get to know the bakers um, a little more intimately. Actually, this year, there's so many changes in Best Baker. This is my first time hosting and actually doing Best Baker. But I understand that there's so many changes from previous seasons. And um, Gasino Prado is there judging with me, as is Jason Smith. And Jason Smith actually won um, one of the seasons. Um, so it, one, I get to, I get to meet the bakers, but also to actually physically see them working and processing the challenge, which is incredible. Um, it's also, I learn a lot. See, I'm not a baker. I call myself a, sh a chef's baker, you know, not, um, uh, because I didn't study, um, 
as a pastry chef, but I love baking. And so I'm just curious. The other thing that I love about this show, when you see bakers from all over America and you talk about um, like bringing people together through food in baking, wherever you're from, we really focused on the regional treats that this country has to offer. And so the country is really represented through all the four corners you know, in the country. And that was, that was incredible. And some of these things that I didn't know before, uh, some of these delicacies and treats. And so that was exciting. Do you get to taste the food? I do. I do. I get to taste it. I get to taste it. But you know, when we back to hosting, you know what, as I, as I'm thinking about this, I think I get an opportunity to, to almost act and to become this big character. I mean, even though I'm Carla, but it, but hosting becomes bigger and it feels pretty special. What What do you think is is the secret ingredient to being a great baker? You said you're not you're not one, but but seeing these these bakers in action. You know, I think the biggest thing, and I don't know if people think about this, but as you talk about food and obsession with bakers, for the most part, the trust that they have has to be incredible. So everything that they do, that they have to put into an oven, you do what you, what you need to do, you put into an oven and you can't touch it. And you hope that everything that you did in the first step is going to produce something delicious and you won't know it until it comes out an hour, two hours later. I mean, and it's out of your hands and, 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 and the amount of release or surrender that has to happen in that moment. And you see it. And you also see when a baker is looking through the window of an oven and it's not doing the thing that they had hoped. And they're like, oh, shoot, I'm going to have to make this over. You know, that is just so much tension. But I think a really good baker has to have that sense of surrender. And it's a lot of science that happens there. Um but it's a puzzle too, kind of like accounting. It's a puzzle, which <laughs> which is why, which is why I love baking. I love baking at home, I, and I, I I keep saying that I want to do a bread baking course. And Gasino Prado teaches in Vermont, and I'm like, I'm going to take your class one day. I'm going to take your class, and you know, and it's something that I really want to do. And I and I was not one of the millions who did sourdough during the pandemic. But, um. Me neither. <laughs> I did some pizza baking. That was, that did was you? My, my version of sa- sourdough. And did you uh, get the crust? Did you get the crust that you wanted? Did you have success? I did. I did. It was it was very satisfying for See? sure. <laughs> yes, I love that. Um, you also had a chance to co-host on Worst Cooks in America. We had Ann Burrell on the podcast uh, a few weeks back. She obviously said nothing but great things about working with you. Uh, what is your friendship like with Ann? Okay, let me just tell you, I bow down to Miss Ann Burrell. I bow down. That show, honestly, Worst Cooks. And what I love, every morning I would go in to set, and it, there were long days. Anne would be up and ready, and she takes it so seriously because she's so passionate about teaching people to cook. When you see all the games that are that are super funny uh, when you watch them on television, they're so well thought out because the people at home should be learning something as the as the contestants are going through them. And and everything is so well thought out. She's amazing. And and for a while there, I, I looked at her and I said, I thought we were friends. What do you have <laughs> me doing? Because this right here. 
I'm telling you, it was so hard. And, and I found it to be so hard because everything that you say to these people who don't cook, they are just sponges. And it's like being with a child and everything that you do and say is going to impact them and change them in some way. And so I would obsess at night, like, how do I teach this? How do I make this easy? How do I like say this in a way that I haven't been doing this forever, that I can teach them for the first time that they're hearing this? There, This guy, Joey, didn't know how to use a can opener. <laughs> I, I, I mean, what do you, and you can't, I mean, you want to laugh, but you're like, are you serious? But he didn't have the dexterity in his hands. And so... You're like, okay, uh, that's where the bottom is. That's where the floor is. And you have to rise to the occasion so that when he leaves, if nothing else, he can open up a can. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's a success, a, a small success, if you yeah. will, but uh, a success nonetheless. Um, I, could, I could spend all afternoon chatting with you, but we are running short on time. So I want to ask you some quick rapid fire questions, and then we will get to our final question that we ask everybody. So are you ready? First thing that comes to mind, I'm going to just fire them off. I'm ready. All right. Favorite kitchen appliance? Microplane. All right. Best hot chicken spot in Nashville? Ah. Ah. <laughs> ah. that's a tough one. Oh, okay I, I, you know what i'm gonna say boltons i'm going okay okay all right all right boltons it is uh worst thing you have ever cooked Ooh. okay does the raw chicken served i guess it wasn't cooked though but i did serve it to somebody <laughs> thinking that it was cooked <laughs> So it's the worst thing you have ever uh, not cooked, I guess. Yes. yes. <laughs> that was supposed to be cooked. Yes. Uh, mo moment you are most proud of in your culinary career. Mm. When Jacques Pepin ate my squab and peas and said I could die happy on top. Chef. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Uh, dish you crave most often. The uh, collard greens, a pot of like stewed beans and cornbread. It reminds me of my grandmother. Hmm. All right. Well, that might uh, that might carry over into our final question, which is the one that we ask everybody here on Food Network Obsessed. Your perfect food day. What would be on the menu? So breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert. Uh, there are no rules. You can spend as much money as you want. You can travel, uh, traverse the, the globe, wh whatever it takes to get your perfect food day. Oh, my perfect food day. I would have a big bowl of oatmeal. And um, I could have that from Sarah Beth's. You know, they had the mama bear, the papa bear, the baby bear. Any of those. <laughs> um, I would then have brunch with malted pancakes um, and just maple syrup mm. and um, bacon and then sausage. And then I would also have an omelet. Ooh, oh my God. I would have like a French omelet. <laughs> I love this breakfast. <laughs> I would have a French omelet and the pancakes would be my second course in the breakfast. Um, but I would have a French omelet with just goat cheese and then fine herbs. Um, I would have tea and orange juice. And then I would have a burger cooked medium on a brioche bun. Um, the cheese is on uh, cheddar cheese on the bottom side of the bun, but it's all, I also have um, mayonnaise and uh, Dijon mustard and raw onion and pickles and uh, lettuce and tomato in the season. 
um, French fries and three onion rings. And then for only dinner, three, only three, because I had the okay. French fries. Oh, and then I would also have lemonade <laughs> and a chocolate malt made with vanilla ice cream and chocolate sauce. And then I would have a lemon meringue pie for dessert. And then for dinner, I would have. I feel like I should go somewhere else for dinner, but you know, I wouldn't mind going to London and having like the most amazing Indian food because they have really mm. great Indian food in London, but I also would want fish and chips. And I could take any of these meals away in various countries. I just want you to know. So Okay. These um, the the best versions of those meals in in whatever country you might be in. Yes. <laughs> um, that sounds like uh, a very uh, fulfilling and filling perfect food day and it sounds delicious and delightful um, just as this conversation was thank you so much for you know sharing all of your stories I think you are truly such an inspiration especially for people you know looking to still you know find that perfect happy um, career and and love maybe later in life and I think you are living proof that, you know, that can, that can happen for anybody. So thank you so much. Jamie, thank you. This has been so great. And you have just convinced me obsession is okay. <laughs> it is. It is. It's okay. Thank you again. I know you guys can't see me, but I can promise you I am grinning ear to ear right now. I just love Carla's positivity and listening to her journey. You can catch Carla hosting the new season of Best Baker in America on Food Network. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to drop us a rating and review so we can keep on serving you the Food Network content that you love. And of course, be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single thing. That's it for now. We'll see you foodies next Friday. Oh, 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 oh